Hello and welcome to CMO Convo, the show from CMO Alliance where the top dogs of the marketing world dig into the big issues facing leaders today. And there probably isn't a bigger issue than the future. And while the future can be scary, with some troubling times looming ahead, could there be bright spots on the horizon for CMOs? Our guest today, Rusty Bishop, CMO of Big Tin Can, certainly believes so, and he's here to illuminate them while sharing advice on how to prep for the dark times ahead. Ready to learn what the future may hold for the CMO role? Listen on for what Rusty is looking out for. Hi, Rusty. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Well, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us, Rusty. It's, a, it's an exciting conversation we're going to be having um, all about the future, which is always, a well, it's often a fun thing to talk about. I don't know if it's a fun thing to talk about right now, but we'll dig into that later on in the episode. Well, I think it's a really fun thing to talk about right now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe exciting thing to talk about, maybe. Yeah, is yeah. the best way of putting it. Um, sure. Yeah, before we get into that, Rusty, um, maybe you could introduce yourselves to our audience, tell us a bit about yourself and your role and why we're talking about this subject today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, my name is Rusty Bishop. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Big Tin Can, and we are a public company out of Australia. Um, I've been in this role for three-ish years at this point, um, and my, my personal background is I uh, came to this role in a very strange way. I have a, a doctorate in biochemistry and molecular genetics. I spent about 10 years working in a lab at a university, um, got rescued there into uh, the real world at some point along the way, uh, founded a company uh, in 2011, and then sold that company to Big Tin Can, the company I currently work for in 2018. So I've been here ever since. Um, I, I was a CEO and founder, and I became a marketer, which is a very strange pathway for a CMO. Um, but I think it gives me a lot of different insights, uh, being both a scientist background, as well as a CEO founder background, now being a CMO. Um, the company I work for, Big Tin Can, we do sales enablement automation. And uh, for those that don't know or been living under a rock for a while. Sales enablement is kind of one of the hottest uh, things out there as far as software goes, and as far as ways to boost revenue goes for companies. Uh, specifically for marketers. Uh, so let's leave the boring sales stuff to the side. <laughs> for now, I'll talk about a little bit about what that does for marketers. Uh, for marketers, what it does for us is it gives us, the, for the first time, the ability to see the value of the things that our teams are creating, like all those PowerPoint decks and one-pagers that your teams are churning out, giving to sales guys and sending them off on their way to go do the thing. For the first time ever, you could see how buyers interact with those and you could see the value of those tied back to revenue. And that's what we, we do for marketing. Fantastic, Rusty. So from this sort of outside perspective, do you think it yeah. gives you a different approach to marketing, how you think about marketing, how you think about the CMO role even? Um, as you said, like coming from a, a founder background, it must give you a different yeah. appreciation of the, the necessities of the role. Yeah, definitely. So if we just to take one step back, my previous role as founder or CEO of a company, uh, you know, in that role, I had to learn finance, right? I had to learn legal. I had to learn, you know, lots of things that most marketers probably haven't had that much of an opportunity to learn or haven't had to learn. I, I don't know. That's probably, that may be a poor assumption. <laughs> um, but the upside is it gives me insight into, you know, very quickly how, what my role does and how it affects the business as a whole and then how each one of those things works, right? So I, because I'm a CEO, I understood HR, legal, all that. So when the, when the finance guys come back and say, hey, we need to do it this way, then it all makes kind of more sense to me in that sense. So I feel like I've been very fortunate in that I had that CEO background coming into a CMO. I will say CMO is 10 times easier. Uh, don't kid yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to be a CEO again. I love being a CMO. I think it's the most fun, interesting job that you can do in business. Um, my 
before that, being a scientist, that that's really the thing I've applied the most to the CMO role. I don't know if it makes me different. I think all CMOs now think in terms of metrics, and and, and if you're not a metric-driven CMO now, it's very difficult, unless you're in a really big brand and your job is to grow a brand. Um, and even then, the metrics are so critically important. So, uh, you know, so some of the things that I kind of bring to that, so one of the things I've always tried to do is apply my scientific background to marketing. Um, there's two things that are worth discussing there, Will. So the first one is... Uh, if you think about what science does for marketing, right? So science is, is the, the job of proving yourself wrong. Mm -hmm. So let me say that one more time, proving yourself wrong. That's what the job is. You assume everything you do is incorrect uh, at all times, right? Even the most fundamental theories in science, the scientists who still look at those assume that they're incorrect. Um, that's the polar opposite from the entire rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> definitely right now, definitely right now. It's definitely the opposite for quite a lot of the yeah. world right now, for sure. Yeah, so what that forces me to do and what I try to try and instill upon my teams and, and, and to other people that I mentor is to really seek good explanations um, for everything you do. And what that means is consistently asking yourself, is my explanation correct, right? Am I basing this on fact, coming back to first principles, or am I basing this on a bias or faulty information? And I think uh, one of the things I see a lot in the business world coming over from academia is a lot of things are predicated on false information or information that's not quite been vetted, or information that people assume is 100% gospel truth, um, but is in fact something somebody made up 10 years ago and put it in a you know, white paper that's gotten widely published across the internet. So I'm super, super skeptical of statistics in the business world. Uh, it's, it is so rampant. It, like Every time I see something, it's like, oh, 57% of people have already made a buying decision. Like, <laughs> There's no way that you did that correctly. <laughs> I mean, especially since the business world's so big and there's so many different sources of information, yeah. there isn't really like a single source of truth. And I suppose you could say the same about when it comes to thinking about the future. I mean, if anything, the last two years have taught us is it's it's very hard to predict what's going to be happening, even in the very near future. Um, oh, yeah. So one thing that's for certain, Will, is uh, I and everyone I know are absolutely horrible predictors of the future. <laughs> but yeah, at the same time, it's important for CMOs to be trying to make predictions about the future, to plan for yeah. the future. Um, I know it probably doesn't bear too much repeating for audience, but maybe let's talk about like why is it important for CMOs to keep an eye on the future and not just think about the here and now? Like, why do you have, have plans ahead in time? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't doubt that any CMO or marketing person that's listening to this is thinking about, you know, the near-term future or the or even the long-term future. I mean, I think if you're in this role, you know, I've, I've listened to several of your podcasts, and you know, you know, it's always pretty clear that CMO is the role that gets cut the fastest, right? Eighteen-month half-life on a CMO. So, you know, first thing we should all be thinking about as CMOs is what are we, gonna, which job we're going to look for in eighteen months, probably. <laughs> Um, but you know, all flippancy aside, uh, you know, I, I think right now we're, we're at a time, uh, where Moore's law is caught up with us and we're seeing, you know, expon the exponential curve of computing power is changing the world so fast. Um, you know, I never dreamed I would see a day where you could buy a car, you know, basically on the internet without talking to a person, but that, that day is long past, right? We're, we're a year and a half past that day. Mm -hmm. Um, so as marketers, right. So we need to understand which part of the Moore's law curve we're in and how fast change is going to come. Uh, a prime example of that is something like Meta. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people sort of goofy laughed when Facebook changed to Meta and they came out and said, oh, we're going to make this magical world that came right out of a fiction book. But the reality is, is uh, you know, there are companies today that are already doing virtual reality. And even old school manufacturers are, you know, we, we build 3D things for, for our customers. We build VR for our customers. They're coming to us and they're asking for this now. 
So if you don't, you know, if you're not looking at that and saying, hey, am I going to have to sell in a VR room uh, in two to three years? I mean, the answer is probably yes. Um, and to take that one step further, I think about machine learning AI is one of the topics that I just, I'm super passionate about. And, uh, you know, I think the majority of people that I've spoken with don't understand machine learning, right? They just see it as like the Terminator and it's going to kill the world and what the heck. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so if you're thinking about the future, right? So what does that mean for you, your customers as a marketer? You know, how are you going to take this thing called machine learning that can learn faster than any human could possibly dream of um, and understand how to apply that to what we do as marketers? Uh, I, I think if you're not looking at that, you're probably going to be in trouble in two to three years. I mean, it's just making sure that you've still got a role in two to three years. Like if machine learning keeps going the way it's going, it could be making a lot of decisions that CMOs are already making. Um, it could be. And, and so, and that's one of the things I actually fear. It's my fear is not that the machines will take over for us, right? And, and are going to kick us out of our jobs. Because uh, as far as I know, there is no pathway to a machine doing conjecture that is creating something new, right? But where I think there is a danger is, uh, especially for marketing, like this is one of my fears for marketing in general is that they're so become so metrics driven. And this is already happening across the enterprise. Uh, that marketing is now seen as a cost center. Mm -hmm. That's a real, real danger, right? Because marketing is actually one of the only two places in business where it's unlimited upside, right? So every dollar you put into marketing is going to generate, you know, Y dollars out the back door and then Z dollars in long-term value in a customer, right? So, but if this becomes obscene, right, it becomes seen, let me say that word correctly, if it becomes seen and accepted that marketing is a cost center, that's when it gets really dangerous, right? When you start turning that over to metrics and machines and not allowing creativity, not allowing conjecture, not allowing marketers to experiment, that's a big part of my scientific background, <laughs> then that's when I think things become real trouble. So we're going to have to see that future coming as marketers. And we're going to have to look back at it and go, okay, I got to make sure I'm educating all the people in my enterprise so that they don't do this to me, right? Because it, that is the real danger, right? It's not the machines take over, it's that you get metric to death. And, and I suppose as well, like you, you probably already had to fight a bit to get machine learning and AI applications brought into the company already. So you might have fought for basically getting rid of your position if, you, if you're not smart about how you approach yeah. it. That's a danger, really. Yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I think these days, if, you know, I know like most marketers, right, I probably own, you know, or am responsible for owning, signing the check for at least, you know, 17 to 18 different SaaS products. Um, you know, and if that could rise as high as 25, you know, depending on how big your company is, right? Or if you do e-commerce and all these kind of things. And every one of those things is collecting data, right? And, and they're collecting data on you. <laughs> and that means you have access to that data, right? It also means that if you're not understanding that data and asking the right questions about it, yeah, absolutely. Like you, you could have signed the check for the thing that replaces you, <laughs> especially if you don't understand it enough to go tell your board what it does. But I don't want to make it sound like we're being fear-mongering in that respect because AI, at the end of the, in the day, there are tools that are going to help marketers and help CMOs, but you just have to be smart about how you approach it and how you build it into your, your yeah. systems and your, your tech stack. Look, there's 100% no question about it, right? Uh, you know, one of the things that we offer here at Bix and Can is amongst our AIs, I don't want to pitch Bix and Can too much, sorry to do that, but <laughs> my, my current area of like really getting into um, is, you know, our, our machine learning can now say, hey, here are 25 opportunities in your CRM that you haven't built the right content for. Okay, that, that is something we've never had as marketers, right? To actually look at deals and say, here's 10 types of content that if you built those today, you could drive these deals faster. So that's, that is really special, right? That is something like, that's like a marketing dream. 
So that's the case where machine learning is going to really, really just explode marketing's value across the enterprise, right? Because not only does it tell you what to create in ways that you've never thought of, but it also helps you attribute that back to revenue. So the way to keep your seat and the way to keep your job is to keep saying, I did that. I created this revenue, right? I attached my name to the biggest revenue line every time as a marketer. Something we've been really, it's been difficult to do, right? I mean, in the past, you made commercials and you put ads in papers and, and you said, well, you know, the company's growing. But now you can directly say through these types of tools that I'm impacting the company's revenue. Um, I'm impacting customer churn. I'm impacting expansion and customer base. I'm impacting our brand. I can measure it in ways that I can measure brand against revenue. We've never been able to do that before. So those are things that are super exciting if you're a marketer. For sure, for sure. But with all the new technology on the horizon, that's always fun to talk about. There are some worrying things on the horizon at the moment as of recording. There's a lot of talk about major economic downturns across the rest of the, the rest of the world. Um, like recessions being talked about in very serious terms by very serious people. Yeah. How important is it for CMOs to be taking that into account for their plans for the future? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking back to when the pandemic hit and a lot of companies just weren't prepared. So maybe they're thinking we should be battening down the hatches now early. Is that sure. something that you're thinking about when it's in your role at the moment, Rusty? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm in a group of marketers. It's almost a thousand strong and we're all in a Slack group together. And I, it's probably 80% of the conversation in that group right now. So it's, it is so top of mind. The reason is, well, as you probably know, and everybody on your podcast that's listening probably knows, the marketing budget is the first thing to be cut, mm -hmm. yeah. right? When we experienced the black swan of, of, of the pandemic, uh, the first thing that happened across the board to everybody here was, hey, your budget just got cut by 50%, right? Arbitrary, don't care, done, right? So in a recession, same thing. You know, with, without a doubt, the first thing to go is the marketing budget. Everybody experiences it. Of course, we're getting ready for it. But now you got to figure out, all right, what am I going to do as a CMO to continue to show value, right? And remind, you also have to remind your company that they cut your budget. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is, it's very easy to forget that you did it, right? And six months later, they go, wow, you haven't generated enough, you know, business or enough pipeline. And you're like, oh, you cut my budget, right? So you have to consistently remind them that they did that. But, but more important is like, how are you going to spring out of this? right? And then strike back when it comes out. So the really, really good marketers that I know um, are, are trying different ways right now. And I call them experiments because no one knows what the future brings um, to say, all right, the day this comes back in my vertical, in my industry, the day I get a sense of it, what are the things that I'm going to do to jump really quickly, right? So if you look at past recessions, there's, there's a lots of companies that invested about halfway through those recessions and they came out of it just absolutely soaring. Um, there's some great articles online that put up by Bain and Company about this recently because of this recession. Um, so some of the things I'm personally looking at is, uh, you know, if I can't add headcount, can I do it through agencies so that I can quickly, quickly scale up that agency with more budget, right? It's very hard for me to bring on headcount and scale them up to speed. But if I've got an agency spun up at a low level, I can, I can dump budget in and they can go really fast while I bring that human back in to do it in-house. That's one of the things I'm personally doing. Um, you know, the other thing I, I would say is, you know, very, very, very heavily relying on past data, uh, which is a little scary, right? Past doesn't predict the future, but really going back over the last two years and saying, all right, what really worked? You know, what, what is the highest impact on sales? What was the next highest impact on sales? What did I hope would work that didn't? And really focusing and doubling down on what worked with the, with the budget that we have. And how much are you communicating this across the rest of the business? Is this just something you're keeping within the marketing department? Are you communicating these contingency plans with other stakeholders? 
Oh no, 100%, I am an open book. And I, I know that's not true and good for everyone on, that's listening here, but for me personally, I have to be an open book. That's the way I operate. Uh, it's probably my science background, which is like disclose everything you possibly ever did to make this experiment work. Um, but no, I'm talking to the board, you know, monthly, weekly, if I have to, I'm talking to the CEO, I'm talking to their CRO, president, VP of salespeople virtually every day. My team is highly informed about the situation all the way down to, you know, the people that are five, six levels you know, below me. And I, I hate to use that term, but, you know, I, of course, no, I, my transparency internally to me is critical. Now, other people, you know, might not see that as a good thing, right? Like having transparency might cause people to leave. Um, but I don't see it that way. What I try to do is try to be super positive and say, all right, hey guys, this is this is what we're doing. This is how the process is going to work. You know, this is the reality of the situation. Here's how we're going to come out of it. And here's how you're going to grow your career from it. And when it comes to that transparency, how is it communicated? Is it just, is it shared dashboards? Is it all hands meetings? Like how, how are you keeping people up to date on this process? All the above. Shared dashboard, uh, 100% done that, done in Salesforce and Tableau. Um, we have, you know, meetings all the time we have slide decks all the time that are continually being changed part of the big tin can software is you can update software uh slide decks and those kind of things and it instantly changes for everyone to see um absolutely no it's it's, it's crystal clear what's happening and that, that's that's really really important for us because we want to explode out of this recession right we don't want to kind of limp out of this recession for sure for sure um and so um when it comes to the you mentioned being transparent to employees to people levels <laughs> below you are you taking steps when it comes to sort of employee well-being beyond just communicating their like these are the marketing strategies we're going to be taking? Like, how are you alleviating their their own state of mind? Because the economic crises, it's not just going to affect businesses; it's affecting people as well and how they're able to live. So, how how are things being communicated with them about future plans in that respect? I mean, well, that's that's so important, right? I mean, at the end of the day, people are what matters. <laughs> I love I love making money as everybody else, right? I love driving business as much as any other marketer. Um, but no, 100%. So we, you know, a couple of things that we've done here coming out of the pandemic as well as we're moving forward with uh, is, you know, we, we obviously have our one-on-ones with our team. We're making sure all that's happening. You know, we're, we're communicating with people on our group meetings. You know, we're basically having open discussions about this, right? Saying, hey, does anyone have questions? Does anyone want to understand why the budgets are set the way they are? Does anyone want to understand how we're going to grow out of this, right? Does anyone understand how this affects your career? Uh, one of the things that I've always, always preached, uh, and that's a horrible word, but it's, it's the way I feel about it, uh, <laughs> to anyone that's worked with me or that I've coached personally, is that, you know, the job you're in right now is to get your future job. And, you know, I think if you take that mindset, uh, it, you know, you can be in any situation and that's, that's a stepping stone to your next job. And so what I try to do is help everyone understand that that's true. Uh, you know, I don't suffer any illusions that you're always going to work for me. Um, and so I want to make help people see that, right? So taking that mindset, um, how do you keep them in a state of well-being? So I'm very fortunate in the fact that I actually have worked remote for 15 years. So I've managed remote teams for 15 years. Uh, the pandemic was nothing new to me, except for everyone else was freaking out. I, I was just used, it was normal for me. That's very luck, right? That's that's not mm -hmm. any design. It's just pure luck. Um, so one of the things I've always done is managed by a process that I call MIT. That's your most important thing. Um, and so what that means is every day, um, everyone on my team, every marketer on my team is asked to block off two hours, uh, no Slack, no phone, no email, and work on one thing. Completely uninterrupted for two hours. They put their MIT in our Slack channel, in our group Slack channel every morning or evening before they leave to tell everyone else, this is what I'll be doing tomorrow in my most important time. 
Um, the way that I manage to that is the rest of the day is yours. It's literally yours. I don't care if you go to the dentist. I don't care if you take the kids to soccer practice. I don't care if you take a walk. I don't care if you work for a hundred hours after that straight. What I want you to do is your MIT every day. And then what that does for my team is they know they're going to deliver their most important thing every day. It's the thing that's going to move their career forward. It's the thing that's going to move the company forward. Okay. But it also gives them the freedom to stop, breathe, meditate, go take a yoga class, um, read a career, take a class, anything like that. Right. So it's just a uh, way that I've been man managing for quite a while. I can't take no credit for it. I stole it from Tim Ferriss, 100%. You can look it up on his website. Um, it's called the productivity hacks for the neurotic. Uh, it's very easy to find. I didn't you know, take no credit for it, but it hundred percent works. I love, I love managing by that style. It's not for everyone. If you have an office, it's really hard, but if you're out of an office, um, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of remote working and I love the, the MIT approach as well. It's something that I use as well. Um, Great. and it's, um, but it's still, it's gotta be difficult to keep track of the well-being of all your employees when they're spread across multiple locations right. so even spread across multiple countries and continents these days with a lot of businesses yeah. which I, I believe is the same for, for big tin can um Absolutely. so yeah my, team is global. yeah my team is global you know i i mean for me personally it means i spend a lot of time in very weird hours you know, <laughs> waking up to check on my team you know in, in in england it's waking it's staying up late to check on people down in australia um so, but that's part of the job, right? Is making sure that your, your people are in a good state, right? And, you know, I'm very fortunate to have very, very high quality managers uh, that work directly beneath me, um, who, when we have, when we have our one-on-ones and we have our management calls, you know, that's one of the things that we always talk about, right? Is everyone doing fine? Um, there's so many simple things you can do too. Like, here's a really simple one. Like, make sure everybody on your team has an updated computer. There's nothing more frustrating. And, destroys your well-being worse than having a computer that doesn't work well um and it's really not that expensive right you may only have to upgrade two a year on your team if you have a giant cmo and you have 150 marketers maybe you gotta upgrade 10 right <laughs> but just those little bitty things uh just taking the time to ask people to slack people once a day once a week whenever but then little things like buying a computer yeah i mean i think the equipment that employees and workers use is important because it shows the respect that you have for them and the work they're doing if you're just giving them like cheap nasty old equipment it shows that you don't value their time and the work that they're putting uh -huh. into it like you don't if, you, you don't value their time is a really important thing you said right there yeah yeah they, they, like you're willing to let them sit and stare at that little wheel just going round and round while some piece of <laughs> while some app loads or something like that like that's yeah, it's a waste yeah. of their time and it's a waste I mean, of look, their, that, like, but that is the reality of, of technology right why do people buy this is funny i had a, I met with a customer the other day and this is something i recommend everybody do right now during recession go meet with some real customers even at you're even at the CMO level, the VP level, actually just go sit with them. Like just pick a random customer, LinkedIn, you know, connect to them and say, hey, do you want to grab a coffee? Um, one of the things that he asked me point blank, and I love this concept, he said, um, I think the ROI of software and tools is love. And I was kind of like, what? <laughs> it's love. I was like, no, no, it's like business, you know, revenue. And I was like, no, it's love. He said, the reason you buy these things for your team, like let's take Slack or something that's really easy to use, Zoom, um, is because you want them to have the best possible chance of succeeding. And that's what you do when you love somebody. You give them things to make sure they have the best possible chance of succeeding. I was like, Tom, that, that you just blew my mind. So, uh, you know, if, if you don't look at these things as a call center and you look at them as a, a way to show your employees love, and even your, so your customers love, right? 
um, then they, they take on a whole new light. That's a beautiful way of thinking about it. I really like that perspective, Rusty, because to be honest, I have, I do have emotional connections to parts of my tech stack, like Slack sure. and Zoom, because I work from home. They're my main portal to connecting with world, my colleagues, right? with, the, yeah. with the world, with people. So yeah, I, I totally get that perspective. And it's nice to hear it sounded out in, in that way. Yeah. Um, speaking again, I can take zero credit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, I always say a good marketer borrows a great marketer steals. So that's the, that's the way I, I operate. Um, there you go. But speaking of customers, um, let's talk about transparency with customers when it comes to plans for like contingency plans and downscaling. Like, how much do you communicate the possibilities of disruption of services uh, to to your customers as I mean, part I'm of pretty, planning? So, for first of all, I'm very fortunate that I haven't had to do that. Um, so, I'm going to speak from what I might do if yes. I had to do that. So, okay. that, that's the caveat here for your listeners. Um, you know, personally, if it's going to affect them and their experience, I think it is your responsibility to let, to tell them in a way that makes sense for your business. And I want to be very clear about the way I said that in a way that makes sense for your business. Um, if you don't do that, you will not have a customer for life. And to me, one of the jobs of marketing is to build customers for life, right? The reason we think so much about brand and the reason we, we work so hard to do all these things and create all this amazing thought leadership and, and stuff on our websites, and all the things that we do as marketers is to create those customers for life. Um, and if you're in that, if you look at it through that lens, right, and you put yourself in their shoes, then it, I think it's your responsibility to do so. Um, again, I haven't had to do that. So maybe it changes when I have to do it. Well, um, but that's, that's my personal view, right? Our job is customers for life. For sure, for sure. I mean, I mean, would you have a bit? You don't have businesses without customers. At the end of the day, like you don't have a brand without how your customers interact with it. So, yeah, they are very, very high priority to be honest with and like have a frank relationship with it. At the end 100%. of the day, yeah, just hundred percent. And I, I've been spending a lot of time writing and and putting stuff out there, uh, you know, in into the ethosphere, you know, internet sphere, whatever you want to call it, about the buying experience of the future. And I'll wrap this back around to the beginning. I do think that technology is going to change the way we buy things and the way that you interact with your customers dramatically over the next 18 to 24 months. And it's not, I think it's not gonna look anything like it did. Uh, and I think that that buying experience and that that's, and buying experience to me encompasses not only like, oh, I walk into the store and buy something on the shelf, right? It's do I, do I get together with a salesperson and an engineer and do conjecture? It's do I get together with a, you know, a, somebody who's out there helping me solve a problem in your software or in your product or whatever it is. And that's part of the experience. Every part of that touch point is the buying experience. Um, the buying experience of the future is going to be radically different. Um, so yeah, I'd be talking to your customers. Like I can't tell you how many times I, I've uh, asked a customer, um, did we meet their expectations during the buying experience? It's a really wild question to ask people. Mm. I can personally say that no one's ever asked me that question, uh, which is interesting, <laughs> but I've asked lots of customers that question and very rarely is the answer. Yes. Wow. Wow. That's going to be, is no, that disheartening? Is that, is that no, 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 they still talk, but there's always something we could have done better. Okay. Uh, okay. So oh, I, I had uh, part of my MO is I don't see anything as disheartening. Just so you know, right. So uh, yeah. as a scientist, I was true scientist. All yeah. time, right. Yeah. I assume that I've done it wrong and I'm going to fall on my face. But that's how you learn, right? So you, you learn by saying, all right, so how did not, we not meet your expectations? Well, your buying process 
or your marketing process was different from the way that my company needs to buy. Oh, okay, well, tell us about that. So now I know as a marketer, wow, what I need to do is go back and create some content or some thought leadership, right? To set this part of the buying experience, right? It could be way up here when I'm just learning about something, awareness, or it could be right down here at the end where I'm getting ready to you know, send it off to legal and get everything done. So that's how we can learn as marketers. And opening up that sort of two-way conversation with the customer as well, it helps develop your relationship with those customers. If they feel like they're having an impact on how your brand's evolving and how you're, you're approaching customers as well, they're going to feel more invested in it. They're going to feel like they're along for the ride with you at the end of the Absolutely. day. Absolutely. People, people love to tell you their opinions, right? They love, so, <laughs> hey, if you, if you emailed or Slacked or LinkedIn's a customer and said, hey, I would like to have your opinion, right? I'm in marketing. I cannot sell you anything. I just want your opinion on our new website, on the way that you bought something on our e-commerce site. I want, I'd love to have your opinion of the way that we approach social media. People will just tell you stuff. They love it. They cannot wait to tell you their opinions. And I, I suppose as well, like a lot of the time, like they, they like to share their woes as well. So having these conversations sure. about the current, economic situation is going to help you get an idea of like what concerns need to be addressed in your marketing. Like what are your customers worried about with the upcoming? 100%. Yeah. So, 100%. yeah. So I've realized we've, we've kind of been a bit doom and gloom about like the upcoming economic problems for a while now. I, yeah. I know we did touch on some, some brighter future things that let's circle back to that. Let's, let's end yeah. on a high note. Like what, what, what does CMOs have to look forward to in the future that they should be planning for? Um, that's a great question. I think what we have to look forward to is a bigger seat at the table. Um, I see, I see a lot of CMOs, and I and I, I am very fortunate to spend time with a you know intense group of CMOs that talks all the time together, and and across the board, people are getting a bigger seat at the table right now, and I think that's because for the first time in history, we can show our value against actual deals against customer long-term value. Um, and also, if you think about it, CMOs in general and marketing teams in general, right? You're the barometer. You're the first thing to detect a change, okay? So it's, it's, it's our obligation to our boards and to the people who have hired us to tell them what's coming, right? I mean, we have amazing technology out there. We have intent data. We have search data. We have, you know, we can go out there and get things that are eight, nine months in advance and see, are people searching for search terms in the awareness phase? Is that, that decreasing? Is it increasing, right? Has it shifted? And we can inform our companies of that. And I think that is where the bright future for CMOs comes, right? Because we once that seat at the table becomes real and we do those things and they turn out to be effective for the business, then that our, we get more and more power. Not that that's what we necessarily want, but that allows us to affect the growth of the company and do the things that we love to do, right? You get more budget for creative, you get more budget to be experimental, you get more budget to grow your brand. Um, and that's the way you do it, right? You take that responsibility, you go, you, you may have to share doom and gloom, right? <laughs> hey, I'm sorry to say this, but no one's, no, it's 80% of people are no longer searching for the thing that we think we're selling. Okay. But hey, at the end of the day, what you might've done is helped your company pivot. And I think that's where the future is super bright for us. Yeah, you want to be the barometer, not the canary in the coal mine, though. You've got to be pitching this the doom and gloom if you need to pitch doom and gloom in a way that keeps yeah. marketing in the mix and keeps marketing budgets as high as you can, possibly. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the game, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is the game. It's a game that a lot of our audience is playing at the moment, and I'm sure they've really appreciated this, Rusty. Um, I think this has been 
an absolutely fascinating conversation. We've covered a lot of stuff that's important to CMOs right now. We've covered upcoming tech. We've covered the economy. We've covered employee well-being. We've covered customer relations, all the big things that CMOs need to be thinking about. So thank you very much for that, Rusty, and thank you for joining us today. And thanks for having me, Will. It's my pleasure, Rusty. It always is to have great CMOs like yourself on the show. So thank you very much. And thank you very much to our listeners. As I said, I'm sure this has been very, very interesting to you. We'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.